thank you for having me back. I have uh, my wife here with me as she's trying to run away. Um, but uh, a lot of things have changed since last time we were here. Uh, so she is now 15 weeks pregnant. So that's very exciting for us. And uh, we've got, yeah, lots of stuff going on in life. I think you guys, uh, who was here last time I shared? Just as, uh, does anyone remember me? Oh, good. Lots of you remember me. That's great. Uh, at that point in time, I was a financial advisor. Many of you will be aware of the Royal Commission, and that ended up in me quitting financial advice, so I'm no longer a financial advisor. Uh, I'm now a headhunter recruiting uh, bankers from across Australia and Singapore. So I spend a lot of my time on the phone uh, chatting to people kind of all across Australia and, and up in Singapore as well. So it's kind of a, uh, an unusual change for me. Um, and, and then I was meant to be here like a month ago, but I completely blew my voice out, uh, preaching at my home church, which is New Life Church in Fremantle. And I had to like message Dex and be like, bro, I have no voice. Uh, and I've never had that experience before in my life. I don't know. Has anyone lost their voice? Has anyone like fully lost it? Yeah, there you go. You guys could have warned me. Um, it's weird when you, you can't express yourself verbally anymore. And, and I lost it for a full week. Um, so I had a full week of not really being able to talk and, and kind of somewhere around Friday of that, that week from Sunday to Friday, pretty much couldn't speak at all. And somewhere around Friday, I started to get a little bit of voice back. Um, but it's a, it's a very unusual uh, kind of experience not being able to talk. So anyway, it is a, a privilege and a gift to be here with you guys. And uh, I really just want to share my heart for, for Oikos and, and for you guys and what I see God doing in this place. And, and as I've been chatting with Dex and, and journeying with him and, and just what I sense uh, in, in worship as well, just what I sense like the Lord is saying. And uh, I feel like God is raising up strength in this place. I feel like this is a place of strengthening and maturing and, and that's where you're, you're at as a church. And I feel like you were born into... Uh, it was Bateman, right? Yeah. Into Bateman. And now you've moved here and there's a real season of maturing and strengthening going on in your lives. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of your stories are kind of like, maybe since you moved here, things got a little bit strange. Maybe something happened in your life that's forcing you to kind of mature a little bit and grow up a little bit. But I just sense the Lord is growing you guys up. And I feel like the Lord wants to release from this place uh, a movement of young adults in, in a specific way, those who know how to love God well outside of this building. And I believe that God wants the, the culture of, of worship and, and love for one another that you have in this place to start permeating your universities and, and your workplaces. And how many uni students have I got in the room? Okay, so still a few. And then working... Nice, nice, <laughs> sort of, sort of, kind of. I go to a place called a job, but I don't do any work. Uh, no, no, it's good, it's good. Um, and I feel like a lot of you guys, um, I feel like there's going to be a bunch of you guys who will straddle that line between am I called to be in the church or am I called to be in the workplace? And, and I feel like the Lord wants to speak to you that you are going to be in the workplace, but to view yourself like unpaid staff. 
to view yourself as those who give and who serve and who love this house because what's going to go on in this house is going to have an impact in this region. And I know that that's the heart you guys carry. I know you want to see things happen in Myri. I know you want to see things happen in this region where God begins to break into the broken families and heal them, where God begins to move in this city in a really specific way and, and see lives transformed and changed by His gospel. And I believe He really wants to do that. So I want to talk about the life of David today. And... Uh, Many of you know, I hope, know the story of David and Goliath. Yes? yes. We're good on that page. Beautiful. Uh, does anyone know the story of David at Ziklag? Yes. yes. I like this guy. <laughs> Introduce me. Now he knows what's going on. He's ahead of the game. Uh, David and the lion and the bear. Yes. yes. Good. David, the anointed worship leader who stops the demons from tormenting people at night. Yes, we got that one. No, kind of, maybe. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, let's start talking about Psalms just in general. And one of the keys or actually the key to David's entire life, if you want to know what the nutshell, like what is the point of the life of David in scripture, it's that he was the most anointed and successful king in the history of Israel. And it comes down to one very simple thing. And that was he genuinely loved God with all of his heart all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength, even when he was completely weak and foolish and made mistakes. That's it. That's it right there. If you want to know what the life of David is about, if you want to know why he was the greatest, if you want to know why he was able to carry out the exploits he was able to carry out, if you want to know how, uh, you know, teenage boy defeated some kind of behemoth man-child, Um, You know, all of these things boil back down to the fact that he fully loved God. He fully trusted God. And when he would make mistakes and when he would have those bad days and when he would have failures, he would run to God, not from God. And if you know the story of Saul, uh, Saul went out to battle and, and literally, I think off the top of my head, it's First Samuel 14, but I could be wrong. Uh, it's somewhere around there. And he goes out to war and they're waiting for the prophet Samuel to come. And the prophet was going to uh, make a sacrifice before the Lord and, and tell them what to do. And the people start getting edgy. The prophet's late. We're supposed to be going to war. If we don't prepare and move, we're not going to get into positions at the right time. And we're going to get defeated and we're all going to get killed and everyone's edgy. Everyone's afraid. And Saul goes, I'll fix it. I'm the king, but I'll do the priest's job. I'll make the sacrifice. I'll declare it's the will of the Lord and we'll go. And that way the people won't, you know, be afraid of me. And what happens is Samuel comes along. He strips him basically and says, for this reason, you won't be king because you care too much about what people think and you don't care about the way, the God, the way God told you to be. And he oversteps his boundary because he's afraid of the people and he doesn't have the fear of God. So that's the context into which David comes as the one who has a heart for God, as the one who carries the fear of the Lord, as a one who loves to worship God. And so we see in the... Uh, in the Psalms, you know, every season of his life is like recorded in, in detail what he was thinking, what his life in God was like, that he was singing to the Lord through these seasons. And some of them are like, you know, the amazing ones of you're the glory and the lifter of my head. 
you know, and, and sometimes he's up in the glory clouds with God and he's declaring, he's seeing the Lord and, you know, all these other ones about like, you know, uh, fling wide, you open gates, like let the King of glory come in. And, and he sings about the flood and he sings about the voice of the Lord breaking trees and he sings about all these amazing things. And then we have ones where he's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, and he has all these horrendous ones where he talks about like my bones rotted within me. You know, and and all these horrible things he went through, but he never lost connection with God. And as God is raising you up, Oikos, whether you go to university, whether it's your workplace, whether you hate where you work, love where you work, whether you've got family challenge, whatever it is, find your place of connection with the Lord because you will find strength, you will find life, and you will find a God who cheers you on, carries you forward, and brings you into the destiny God has for your life. 1 Samuel 30 is the story of David at Ziklag. And, and if you've got your Bibles, let's turn there. And Ziklag is the city David was living in at the time. Uh, it's kind of an interesting season. It's still when he has uh, got a bit of weird relationship going on with, with Saul. And uh, hey, there you go. Look at that. Oh, yes. And uh, so just at the, um, in, at the end of 29, David's gone out to fight with some Philistines. At the same time as he does that, the Amalekites come to his city and raid it. And so he kind of comes back from his thing and, and basically finds the Amalekites have completely raided his city. So it says they had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They didn't kill anyone, but they carried them off and went their way. Uh, in verse 3, David comes, they find everything is gone, their city's been burned. And then in verse 4, it says, David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength. That's a lot of crying. I don't know if you ever tried to cry until the point where you have no strength. Verse 6 says that David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. So not only does he have no strength left, now everybody just wants to kill him. That sucks, right? And what does it say at the end of verse 6? But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He's just come back from a battle with the Philistines. He's come home, no wife, no kids, all his men who are with him, no wives, no kids. City is burned. People want to stone him. And his immediate response is, the Lord my God, my refuge, my help, my shelter, that's where I'm going for strength right now. David says to Abiathar, the priest, bring me the ephod. He brings him the ephod. Shall we pursue? And the Lord's answer comes, pursue. Uh, Cutting this story down really short, they pursue, they overtake, they kill and destroy the Amalekites and they get all their wives and children back. This is the kind of strength that God gives when you've wept over sorrow and you've wept for the challenge in your life and you've struggled with the difficulty, there is a place of strength where the Lord gives strength to the weak to run and not grow weary, to walk and not be faint, to chase down what's been stolen from you, whether it was by your choice or someone else's choice, He gives strength to chase down and reclaim what God has placed in your life. 
And we need to find that place of strength. We need to be a church who runs to God in the midst of every challenge we have. And then I want to talk about the, sh- the, the lion and the bear. All right. So David, as a shepherd, as a young boy, he learns this place of strength. And, and I like the shepherd stories because most of us are going to have jobs. Like me, I have a job. I mean, Dex has a job too, but I have a job out of the church. And, and so most of us relate more to like feeling like our workplace is somewhere out there on a distant hill where we look after somebody else's sheep and it's annoying. And sometimes we feel like there are lions and bears in our workplace that try and attack us, right? And in 1 Samuel, don't, don't turn to this one. If you can flick it up on the screen, go for it. 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 36. David, uh, it's actually when he wants to go fight Goliath. And Saul's trying to talk him a little bit out of it. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I was anointed to be a shepherd. I'm God's anointed. And when a lion tried to take a sheep, I was empowered by God to kill the lion and rip him apart with my bare hands. Now, my wife and I went to South Africa about six months ago. Lions are scary. (laughs) I do not have the strength to rip a lion apart. I did watch a lion eat an impala and it was scary. Lions are not small and then somehow he did the same thing to a bear. A bear is way bigger than a lion. But he's ripped it apart with his bare hands purely because he believed that God loved him as a shepherd. A shepherd was like a janitor today. Like it was a low kind of work in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God and of what David had seen of God, he fully believed that God had anointed him to take care of those sheep such that he could rip a lion to pieces with his bare hands by the strength of God. I don't know what the janitorial equivalent is, but that's some serious cleaning up in a very short space of time. You know, do we know the God who wants to help us in our workplaces? Do we understand that there's an anointing that God has on each one of our lives in whatever the season is to do great things? So easy to think, oh, I'm just a shepherd or I'm just an admin or I'm just, you know, the the low level engineer. I don't have any influence or I'm just the, the whatever. I'm just a grad. I'm just a, I'm just a, David was just a shepherd who encountered God's heart for him that meant he could rip animals apart who tried to take his little sheep. It's a cool story. So Oikos, as you journey into what God has to you, as you learn to find that place where you're strengthened in the Lord and you learn to find that place of what he's called you to and what he's empowering you to, there are two great enemies of your soul. First one we're going to talk about is laziness. Second Samuel 11. Do turn to this one because this is worth having a look at. Second Samuel 11 is uh, one of those very well-known stories. It's David and Bathsheba. And a lot of people miss the opening line. Can we get this one on the screen? Yes. Oh, I love the screens, guys. Killing it. 
In the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war. Okay, so in winter, you don't go to war because in winter, your own troops freeze and die and it's really hard to fight. So the first time you would start going to war again is spring. You've kind of had winter off. You've healed. In theory, you've recovered. Now it's time to go to war. So in springtime, when the kings go off to war, David sent some other guy with the king's men and the whole Israelite army to go to battle. And David was lazy. That's my paraphrase. The story will go on to be David and Bathsheba. He's then being lazy. So he's like wandering around the rooftop, sees Bathsheba. She's kind of hot. I'd like to meet that. The story goes on. He does. And, and then he ends up killing Joab. No, no, it's not Joab. What's his name? Uriah. That's the one he kills. Joab's the commander of the army. There it is, Uriah. Sweet. Uh, so he ends up killing Uriah to cover up the mistake he made because instead of being at war where he was supposed to be, he was being lazy and celebrating from the top of his house all the things he had done. And when we let laziness creep into our lives and we choose to celebrate the good that's in our lives and all the things that we've done and all the things we've achieved and how great we think we've got it so far, that's how quickly we lose the plot entirely. When we let pride come up in our heart and we say, look at all I've achieved and we lose sight of how much God wants to achieve in us and through us, that is the moment we lose it all. It's the same story for those of you who know it of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is wandering around in the great kingdom. Uh, I think it's Daniel 4. I'm looking at this guy. He's been good so far. (laughs) And he's walking around and he's going, man, my kingdom is amazing. I'm pretty much a God in flesh. This is awesome. And then boom, a voice from heaven. It's all going. Turns into a madman. Loses the plot for seven years. Pride and laziness will destroy the call of God on your life. But if we develop a strong work ethic and if we develop a strong discipline of encountering God, we will continue to grow and continue to flourish. I want to stay there in 2 Samuel 11 for a minute because David and Bathsheba is like, it's one of the worst kind of mistakes you can make to commit adultery with someone and then murder their husband so that you can kind of keep them. Like, I don't know, there's a lot worse you can do, at least to an individual, right? And, And so, again, for those of you who know the story, a prophet comes to David and kind of tells him this little story about this real bad guy who stole someone else's sheep and... And then David goes, kill that man. And, and the prophet goes, well, you are that man. And then David rips his garments and, and weeps and, and repents. And, and the, the prophecy from that prophet is the child that she's pregnant with is going to die. That's the judgment of the Lord against what took place. And David then goes, well, I know my God. And if there's any chance this child can survive... This is how it'll be. And he goes into seven days prayer and fasting before the Lord. Do you have the courage that in the midst of your biggest mistake, 
you could go to the Lord in prayer and fasting for seven days, petitioning for something he's told you you can't have? Do we have a confidence in God that says I can run to him in spite of my mistakes, in spite of what I've just done, in spite of what's publicly been revealed by a prophet, that we would run to God, not run from him. Because you and I are going to come up against plenty of times where we make bad choices. You and I are going to come up against plenty of our own weaknesses and plenty of our own mistakes. And as God strengthens and matures you, it's a little sawtooth action. You know, we take three steps forward, one back, two forward, one back, one forward, one back, five forward, one back. It's just life. Don't know why we're stuffed up like that, but we are. But as we do that, we only lose if we stop moving forward. That's the reality of God. We only lose when we start discounting the cross and saying, I'm out. We only lose when we start saying, Jesus' atonement doesn't cover for me right here, right now, today, to bring me fully back into the throne room of God with boldness and grace. That's the only way sin wins. That's the only way you lose. So do we know the God that we can walk straight back into the throne of when we've made the biggest mistake of our lives and it gets publicly written about for every Christian to read for the rest of history? You know. So when we fall down, we must get up. And while I'm at it, I wanna I wanna push on a little something. We live in a world that loves consumption, right? Loves it. Just consume stuff, whether it's like, like you know, clothes and fast fashion and all that kind of thing, whether it's just other possessions. Um, but one of the ones I want to talk to you guys about is, is time spent consuming entertainment, uh, and my, my wife can tell you that slowly with her help, I am significantly decreasing the amount of time I spend consuming entertainment. But the reason I'm doing it isn't just her help. It's because I believe God created me to be creative. And when I spend time consuming entertainment, that's time I'm not creating anything. That's time I'm not building anything. That's time there's nothing that I'm doing that I'm actually enjoying or getting better at or adding value to the world around me. It's time I'm just feeding myself in a lot of ways. And, and there's genuine time for that. We're not meant to be like completely entertainmentless. That's not the goal here. But there's this reality that we can just consume endless amounts of YouTube. Has anyone ever reached that point? You've been on YouTube and you've gone, hmm, I have watched every video on this topic. I've watched them all. I don't need to see another one. I know it all. Right? There, is, there just is no point. And it actually baffles me. I started thinking about this for a while. I'm like, I've watched so many videos on whatever the topic is. And there's still more. And someone else has a new point and a new angle, and I watched that 13-minute video, and they only had one new point, but somehow I deemed that was worthwhile. 
Right. And what goes on inside of us is this thing of consumption versus time spent creating versus time spent learning or time spent growing. And when we actually choose to break our agreement with this idea of consumption and start to create things, we start to be uh, value adders for others. We start to be able to add value into the lives of others. And, and I don't have uh, time today to kind of unpack this in full, but how many of you guys know the parable of the talents? Cool. So in the parable of the talents, uh, basically there's these three guys, their king gives them a chunk of money and says, do business till I get back. I'm going away for a little while. Uh, the king then comes back in a little while, brings them all the report. One has turned it into 10. Uh, well, he has 10 more. And the king comes great. He says, while I was away, I had these 10 cities that need help. I'm sending you to be king of those 10 cities. Then the next guy, he's got his one. He's turned his one. There's now five more. He goes, great. I want you to take that. And I want you to go be a king over those five cities. And then he comes to the last one. And the one has gone, oh, I was really scared. I was a bit of a coward. I watched too much YouTube. And I've still just got my one. And he actually calls him a wicked servant really crazy if you think about it. Like this guy was just terrified and wasted a little bit of time and didn't want to take a risk of actually doing something with the money. And the king comes back and goes, that's evil. Crazy, crazy statement. And, and he gets rid of him and gives the one to the guy who had 10. The point I want to make is this. Why would you take someone who took, uh, and a, a talent is roughly $25,000 in kind of today's numbers, so why would you take the guy who turned 25,000 into about 250,000 and make him king over 10 cities? What's the connection? A tenfold increase. A tenfold increase, right. So therefore, what's he expecting him to do with 10 cities? A hundred cities. It's the only logical connection between the two. But here's the thing. Back in... Uh, Jesus' time, there was no get-rich-quick scam. He didn't use Bitcoin, <laughs> right? There was no uh, stock market. There was no online investing. There was no, you know, uh, drop shipping. Uh, there were no ways to run a business without actually running a business in a physical location, Right, like we have a million ways now to make money while being completely detached from it. He had none. He was literally a guy with money who had to find a way to make more money. Now, if you start with one and some guy went none and some guy made it five times and you made it 10 times, what did you do better than the guy next to you? Make money. And generally you make money in that context by adding value and meeting needs. That's fundamentally how every business on the planet works, right? They found a way to meet your need and to add value to your life such that you're willing to hand over cash for it. So what that means is this guy who went tenfold saw the needs of the people in the city he lived in, took the resources he had 
and was able to add the most value to the most amount of people such that he was able to create a tenfold return when one guy could only do a fivefold return and one guy couldn't do anything. He put all the resources out there and was able to love people through a business. That's why you put him in charge of 10 cities. Because if he was able to see the needs of the people, take the resources he had to meet those needs and do it in such a way that people would pay him a significant profit to do it, you 100% want that guy running your city because he will see the needs of the people, he will rally the resources of the city and he will meet those needs in a way that is completely sustainable, which is called profitable. These days we have lots of funny ideas about profit and greed, but that's actually the intention of it. You and I are made to be creative. We're made to create. We're made to see the needs of one another and we're made to add value in those spaces. But we will not do it if we're content being lazy and if we're content being consumers. And what I see in this room is a group of people who want to press into what God has for them. And that's going to mean getting rid of laziness, getting rid of endless consumption of entertainment, and choosing to put our lives into the creative hands of a creative God and be the creators he made us to be. Last one I want to talk about is fear. I don't know if you've ever thought about discipleship, but it's a strange journey. Jesus uh, lived it in the flesh, but it's, it's kind of like some guy you don't really know that well walked up to you and said, hey, would you, uh, actually, that's kind of me. Most of you don't know me that well. Hey, would you spend 60 years of your life, kind of the rest of your life, following me around and helping me do whatever it is I'm trying to do? <laughs> it's not really the kind of thing you go, hmm, yeah, yeah, 60 years? What, what, you know, I don't really know what you're trying to do, but you seem like a nice guy. I'll spend 60 years of my life doing that. No dramas. Right, but why do we do it? Because we've encountered something. We found a love that goes beyond. We found a God who was willing to die that he could do this with us, that he could disciple us. We found someone, we go, wow, if you died for me, there's nothing you'll withhold. There's no depth you won't go to to keep helping me. And if you gave your whole life as service for me, not only as I follow you, will you continue serving me? Like we understand these things because we've been in church a little while, but when you stop and think about them, discipleship fundamentally requires you to know who it is you're following. And it fundamentally requires you to understand where they're going. As I close, I want to talk about Revelation 21 for a minute. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, you can turn there if you want. Uh, but Revelation 21, it's kind of like right at the end. And, and I call it Jesus' end game. Like when it's all said and done, what's he trying to do? What's he trying to achieve? And, and in this chapter, we see this, this city come down and it's heaven coming down out of the clouds. There's a new heaven and a new earth and there's a bunch of things I don't understand. But there's a lot of things I can get my head around. I want to share some of them with you. This city comes down and it goes, that's the home forever. It says, now the dwelling place of God is with man. 
right? So I don't, I don't know what happened before then. Lots of details I don't get, but I know that this thing is home for me. And in John 14, Jesus says, I'm going, but be glad because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And this is that place. And then it starts laying out a description of what that place is. And, and I'm a numbers guy, so I'm going to break some things down for you to help you understand where you're going and why you can fully trust Jesus on this journey that you're going on. So uh, this city is roughly 2,220 kilometers long and 2,220 kilometers wide. And it's basically a cube, which means it's also 2,220 kilometers high. Now, for anyone who is also going, I don't understand how far that is. That's roughly two-thirds the size of Australia. But it's a cube. That's what he's describing. Okay? And then it talks about what the walls are made out of. And if you read the description, it says something like a jasper, which was a precious stone, that's clear as a crystal. Now, there is no stone that is clear as a crystal like jasper except a diamond. And it actually says it shines like a crystal. So the only thing that represents jasper and a crystal is a diamond. Now, if you took an Australian house and, and made it out of, ah, sorry, the, the streets and the base of this city are made out of a pure gold. Okay. Now, if you took an average Australian Perth-sized home and made it out of gold. Does anyone want to guess at what that would cost? Because this is your home, right? This is where you're going. This is where Jesus plans for you to end up. Anyone want to have a guess at how much he's willing to spend on your Australian Perth-sized house? A couple of dollar days. A couple of dollar days? $30 billion. $30 But here's the catch. That's what the base was made out of. It says the walls are diamonds. Now, anyone who knows diamonds has been diamond shopping. Diamonds get exponentially more expensive the bigger they get. So what that means is a small diamond is not worth anywhere near, like, like 10 small diamonds is not worth the same as one big diamond. The bigger it gets, the rarer they are, the harder they are to find and the more expensive they get. So there is no way to price this thing. But if we used perfect or the highest grade you can get, one carat, which is small, diamonds, and made your Australian purse-sized house out of them. Anyone want to have a peg at the price of that? Eight dollar does. Not bad. Not bad. Seven trillion. Seven trillion, like dollar days. That's outrageous, you know. And and this is just the building to him, right? Like we build out of things that are worthless, like concrete and asphalt. Why? Because we have things that are far more valuable like silver and gold and diamonds. He's building out of gold and diamonds. So what else is in this city? Right? Like what else has he got in there? What things isn't he telling us? 
I don't know, but the more I look at where he's taking us, the more I think that in Matthew 19, Jesus was underselling it. Matthew 19 is the story where the rich young ruler comes and Jesus goes, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And then the disciples are like, we did that. What do we get? And he goes, well, everyone, everyone, not just you guys, everyone who sells and leaves things behind for my sake will in this life and the next life receive a hundred times. A $7 trillion house is a lot more than a hundred times mine. Don't know where you guys live, but I'm not getting anywhere near that. See, what if Jesus is underselling it with these outrageous promises of a hundredfold that we kind of think are too much? What if the fear we have that maybe he won't provide or the fear we have that maybe if I take a stand, I'm going to lose my job or the fear we have that maybe if I speak to that friend of mine about Jesus, I'm going to lose that friendship. What if all of these things we're afraid of are nothing compared to what he has for us? What if the future he has for us is so grand it would actually blow our minds and that's why the scripture only gives us a handful of descriptions? What if it's really true when he says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the minds of a man the things God has for us? How does it change the way we live? How does it change the responses we have when God tells us to be strong and to stand up? And we want to shrink back and sit down. Oikos family, you and I are going to a home we can't even imagine. You and I are going to a place we can't even imagine where the glory of God is going to shine out of each one of us. Where the glory of God is going to radiate through a whole city. It says there is no sun, no temple, because the Lamb itself is the temple and is the light. When Moses' face shone, right, when he would go speak with God and he would come out and they'd make him put like a sheet over his head because he was glowing. That is a foretaste of our eternal inheritance. You and I are going to shine. It's going to be weird, but it's going to be awesome. Let's be honest, it's weird. The idea of one of us shining. But there is glory unparalleled coming and what I want to leave you guys with today is this question of do you know God like David knew God because there are things stirring and as I look around this room I see people who are stirring and hungry for God hungry to see him move and I see a strengthening and a maturing happening in this place and my question is just that do we know him Do we know him like David did such that he would rip apart a bear and a lion believing that God cared about his little sheep? Do we know this one who's bringing down a city from the heavens that is beyond anything we can imagine right now? Do we know this one who can give us strength when we feel like everything is lost? And do we know this one that we can love fully, wholeheartedly and run to every time we mess up? Those Bibles you're holding, the Bible verses we've been reading, it is the most beautiful gift on the planet God could ever give you. Learn it, read it, study it, create something cool with it. Create something cool with what God shows you. Don't even worry about whether someone else sees it or read it. He made you to create. So learn how to create with the promises He's given you.
Learn how to create things that shine His glory. Learn how to love one another and strengthen one another to go after what God has for you. Amen. I don't know if it's worship team. I don't know who comes up. But yes, that's my charge for you guys tonight. As God journeys with you through every step of the way and in everything He's doing in each one of your lives, learn to walk with Him. Learn to grow with Him. Learn to reach out for Him every time you fall down. Learn to reach out to Him every time you fail. Learn to run to His love because everything you need is found in Him. He's not a God who opens doors for you and then hopes that you'll just walk through it and get it right somehow. He's a God who opens the door, holds the door open, takes your hand with his other one and walks you through it. The last little story I want to share is I went through a season where I found it really, really hard to discern the will of God. I found that in my early 20s, like I thought I was awesome. I thought I knew everything. Felt like I could see so far ahead and like I had spotlights on my shoulders. I was like, God, yeah, this is awesome. And then in my mid-20s, that like fell away and I was praying to the Lord. I was going, God, I just feel like, you know, I used to have these spotlights and I could just see it all in my head. There was this path and the spotlights lit it up for me. And I was like, yeah, God, your word. It's a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And this is awesome. But now, now I feel like all I've got is a tea light. Just a little useless candle and I can barely see the path in front of me and and this little vision I was having with the Lord as I held this thing out this big hand comes and just squashed it and I was like yeah that's how it feels thank you (laughs) and in that moment he said but what's in your hand now And it was his hand. And he said, I want you to walk by faith and not by sight. I want you to come every step holding my hand, every step leaning on me, every step growing with me, every step through me. Because I didn't make you to do this thing alone. I didn't make it so that you could see it and just go do it and think you did it in your own strength. This life's a journey and a partnership with God. So let me pray and the worship team can take over. God, I thank you for what you're doing here at Oikos. I thank you for your word and the way it encourages and inspires us. And Father, it's my prayer tonight that you would raise up from this place men and women who are pillars. Men and women who are pillars in the house of the Lord. Men and women who are free to love you free to follow you, free to pursue you all the days of their lives. Men and women who are strong, men and women who take ground, men and women who will overtake the enemy and take back what's been plundered from this region and this city, for the homes and the families in this city. Lord, I ask tonight you would speak to each one about what the next step forward for them is. 
about the thing you're calling them into. Lord, whether it's letting go of fear and trusting in your future, whether it's letting go of laziness and learning to create, learning to build a good work ethic. Lord, whether it's knowing your love and weakness and running to you, not from you. Or whether it's learning that they're anointed right where they are to take out the lion and the bear for the sake of a little sheep. God, there's so much more. There's so much more. Bring each one at Oikos into the more you have for them. The deeper relationship with you you have for them. The deeper love encounters with you that you have for them. God, let this church walk in the fullness that you've called them to.